Well, I mean, I could just throw us into the podcast if you guys are ready to go, unless you guys want yeah. to preamble. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right, well, let's just throw it in then. So um, welcome to uh, an episode of the Halcyon Frequency Podcast. This is episode eight. I'm going to update this document in front of me. Uh, and it is airing on March 6th. Uh, 2022. Um, I'm blind, and I'm hosting this Halcyon Frequency podcast, and uh, I'm I'm joined by one Bellinaire. How are, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Better than earlier this week for sure. That's good. <laughs> and and Asui, who is also here. Um, how are you? Hi hi. I'm doing pretty good. I'm on spring break right now, so I've had lots of time to do other projects beyond school. Spring break, that's uh, that's when you get on a, a speedboat, hang out on a beach, and drink a lot of alcohol, right? Yeah, and you spread COVID everywhere. Yeah, that's that's, that's what you do. That's, that's exactly. Times. Um, not exactly a beach, but um, it involves water. How's that bathroom, Bellinaire? Uh I don't really know yet, to be honest. Uh, so we had a, a little water issue coming through the uh, ceiling from upstairs neighbor in our uh, washroom where the toilet and so nice so that was fun <laughs> my, my neighbors above me have decided to like renovate or build a log cabin or i don't know what but i've been like drills and what sounds like a table saw above me um, <laughs> yeah. which i used to complain about them a lot because they had they they're, they they have little children up there right so it's a lot of like weird stamping stomping and like obvious like not jumping on furniture but like loud kid running around sounds a lot so i always complain about them anyways but honestly i would take the children running around sounds over whatever the heck this is i mean i've been doing some renovations to the trailer that Subway and i live in because it's like from the 70s and has never been like properly repaired or renovated before yes but do you have a neighbor living beneath you who's streaming video games on the internet (laughs) no no we don't have anyone who cares so okay well this is that's just benefiting the living space around you this is annoying especially (laughs) when they're like doing it at like seven o'clock at night which is not uncommon for that that sounds like my upstairs neighbor as well they're they're doing like river dance or something feels like they're trying to come through the floor or something I mean, if they're going to do river dances, at the very least, they could have, like, the decency to, like, do it somewhere where everybody else could enjoy it instead of, like, yeah. just making noise. This past week is, like, fi- finding small talk for a podcast is just getting harder for me right now because mm-hmm. all I can really say is, like, I can complain about my neighbors. It's been raining a lot. And... It's that time of the year as well. It's, like, um, I mean, waiting I have for the spring to, to come about. and... Uh... What do you, what, what do you happening. got, Sui? Um, well, I mean, it's completely just, like, what's going on in my life, but I'm working on that renovation, which is a lot of work. I've only, uh, started priming some cabinets, and so, yeah, but the hardware on them is so old. <laughs> it's so ugly, too, because it's, like, the, uh, handles is literally plastic. So, yeah, I'm working on that, and then I've been doing, like, some job application stuff a little bit since I do graduate. Well, I don't graduate, but I finish classes mid-June or late June. In in, in, in regards to renovating, um, like, are, are you looking to replace those cabinets? Because, like, hardware stores are fun. Oh, we've been to um, a hardware store, uh, Subway's dad and I. And so we looked at paint and all kinds of stuff. And we're not going to replace the actual cabinets. We're just going to uh, paint them. 
but then we're gonna put new hardware on them so that's like the handle the hinge the thing that holds it shut yeah I, I i got to do a whole lot of that stuff when my parents were renovating their house before i moved out uh, which mm. was like literally 10 years ago now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i back when i lived with my family they wouldn't let me do any handy work type stuff so this is all a learning process for me. Like, I've never done anything like this before. Now I just call my landlord and be like, the toilet makes a weird noise. And sometimes water comes out of it. And they're like, I eat. And then a plumber shows up and he fixes it. I mean, that's why you have the landlords and maintenance people. Mm -hmm. That's what I did yeah. as well in the middle of the night. Call an angry <laughs> maintenance guy to go yell at the neighbor. Why is there water coming through the ceiling? Did, did you ever find out why there was water coming through the ceiling? Uh, they weren't really clear. Uh, there, there was uh, apparently like all the drains uh, in the shower and everything was like totally clogged on their apartment. And who knows what? Uh, they, they were working there quite a while. But, uh, they haven't really called me or anything since. So I, I don't know. <laughs> the 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 last time I had a um uh, like a, an an issue in in my apartment, it was like the 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 toilet just started making this weird noise when I'd flush it like you know like the sound that a toilet makes when you flush it and then like it fills back up for like a minute yep like or like a couple seconds I'll be like that weird like the water running sound of it filling the tank back up well that would just keep going like indefinitely for like 30 40 minutes and then it would just stop at a point like it wouldn't overflow or anything and then one day it just kind of started overflowing so eventually like I called my landlord and they're like yeah we'll we'll send our guy down just turn the water off I'm like okay so I turn the water off and he showed up later in the day and he, he comes in he's like man your apartment is so clean i'm like what do you mean he's like i'm so used to like coming into like rental units and then it just being like a disaster he's like the last place i was in like you'd be surprised i don't think they've drained their bathtub in like two years i was like what are you even talking about like, what no. kind of people are you like fixing apartments for jeez yeah that's what the maintenance guys say here as well the, the upstairs apartment no. is uh apparently not in a great condition like I think I'm lazy about that sort of thing, and like I let things get really messy. But how? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like my my cousin's a, a plumber, and he says similar things. He's like, a lot of the places I get sent to, it's like it's a nightmare. It's like, I guess like the people who need maintenance people are the people who also don't drain their bathtub. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> or or you live in a house uh, that's been, not been renovated in 30 years and it's kind of falling apart uh, around you yeah it just turns into a nightmare factory or you've just been living in the same like rental place for so long and you've just never told your landlord about problems and they just kind of like yeah, pile up that too like I've, I've lived mm -hmm. here almost 15-ish years now or more and they've never really done any kind of a renovation but like very little that's kind of concerning. That's like when I was talking to Tarn Adams um, on one of the one, one of the first in interviews I did with him. He's like, "Yeah, like the so I'm moving." I'm like, "Well, like and any particular reason why?" He's like, "Well, you see, the the maintenance guy walked out onto the porch and he fell through it." <laughs> oh my! Yeah, that's <laughs> not like, great. Uh, that's that's bad. He's like, "That's fine. I've never been out there, but like, you know." Yeah, but uh, I think like the strategy here has been that um, people kind of live here like a couple of years and move out and then they renovate when uh, the person moves out uh, but since i've been stuck here for uh, 15 years uh, they haven't done that uh. they just like haven't like gotten around to doing the thing that they yeah, do that's when really like, can that one thing move away from there already like we want to renovate that apartment but he's just stuck there 
Yeah, I don't know. I how do people renovate apartments? Like, where do you put your? Do you do you like get a like rental unit and like move all of your stuff into like the storage unit and then they renovate the apartment? Like, how does that even work? I don't know. Yeah, uh, there was a uh, a lot of uh, like student uh, housing. They were renovating some of those, uh, so they just kept moving like the people like a musical chairs from apartment to apartment. Oh yeah, I guess you could do that. My first apartment, um, which I lived in for three months, and then a like I don't know, two by two meter section of ceiling just went thunk and landed in the living room. <laughs> um, and I'm not like like dancing around it when I say that we could see stars through that hole. Um, That's not great. Though. They were like, well we could move you into this apartment in the same building. I'm like, well, have you redone that section of ceiling? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, look at the weather. And it's like rain for the next six weeks. And they're like, well, I mean, I don't think that section of the ceiling is going to cave in. I'm like, how about I just move out? And they were like, okay. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. Like, let's break this lease. Yeah. Some of them are, some of the landlords and some of the places are a little sketchy. A little bit. I mean, we, the guy was younger than me, I think. So. Yeah, we were. Uh, I was. I was doing a exchange student uh, things in um, in Sheffield in UK, and some of those uh, apartments that they are renting to students, uh, especially out of country, um, are are very very sketchy. <laughs> like I, I've never seen that that bad uh, condition housing in here. I'm uh, like I'm I'm very rarely the person that you'll hear say knock down the old building and uh build more expensive housing that nobody can afford but like please somebody burn down the building that I used to live in because yeah. that building shouldn't exist like yeah, I, I kind of agree on that like a uh, half the city center here could be bulldozed and something better built there and it's especially I, like like old uh, the concrete, biggest uh, horrible buildings uh, all over the, the place, biggest yeah. red flag I saw when I when I was moving into that building was there's a sign in the um, elevator that says "Please don't jump." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's an immediate. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm moving away. <laughs> I mean, it was only a three story building, and the stairs were really like not that bad. But it's like like the stairs were like nice stairs, so like the stairs were fine. But that elevator, I hmm. I'm glad I, I live in this apartment now. Yeah, I'm I used definitely... to go to. Yeah, you go. Sorry. Yeah, I used to go to like a really old church, and um, so they had a small elevator to get from like the basement to the second floor, mm -hmm. and I went in it a couple of times, and I was moving stuff around while volunteering. And oh my gosh, it was like it was the old ones you see in movies, you know, where like it has like. Uh, metal thing you cover it with and everything there was this old church that i used to do like summer like bible school thing for two weeks in the summers and i now as an adult i look back on that and go that was just an excuse for my parents to go on vacation for two weeks hmm. um but uh it, it was really just like this three-story building uh, the, the the first floor was like kind of a normal A-frame cabin, which was like suspended off the ground. Second floor was like the main level floor, which was like half underground. And then there was this third floor that was beneath that that we would go down to sometimes to get stuff to like bring upstairs to 
use for activities and things. Um, and that third floor was like just dirt. Like it had, it wasn't finished at all. And it was like the, the stairs like stopped being made like built stairs and just became concrete stairs at a point and i think that people died in there it was the maybe the creepiest <laughs> the horror basement i've ever seen it was yeah. like uh i don't uh, you know it's a church it's supposed to be fine right mm-hmm. uh, but i don't know that was Dude. the creepiest basement i've ever been in in my life i have not found a single church without a creepy area somewhere in it like every single it's- church that i've had the opportunity to explore which I grew up kind of religious, and so I kind of ended up having a chance to explore an okay number of them. There was always a creepy place somewhere in every church. There, the the church that I think I spent the most time in didn't, but that's because that church was the, the first year I was in that church was this old rickety building that was like one floor, and it was it was kind of fine. It was basically just like a kitchen a kind of common area to like hang out in a few small rooms on the side where you could like have Sunday school and stuff. And then just like the, the cathedral. Um, but they bulldozed it like two years after I started going, like maybe a year and a half after I started going there and built this brand new building. So it was always like smelled like new carpet. <laughs> Never really like got to the point where it could be creepy again. So, but yeah, churches tend to have that feeling to them that kind of musty old feeling that just makes buildings feel disconcerting i guess yeah also like i went to so in middle school i would go to the church and they do like a game night where they would shut off all the lights in the church Mm. and then you would like run around play games right and usually they were like games where you run away and hide and then someone has to come find you and like you're trying to get run and get some kind of objective done while this person's trying to catch you you know and it was just terrifying there was one time i played laser tag in that church which was kind of great actually (laughs) maybe the most fun i ever had in that church was just playing laser tag that one evening it was like Mm -hmm. around christmas or something i just remember because it was cold outside and we had laser tag and we were there and we were like well there's eight of us do you guys want to play laser tag (laughs) running around in a church shooting at each other seems a little strange currently but um (laughs) I don't uh, know. It was fun. At there the were, time. there were multiple secret passageways in the church I was in too. What? Yeah. Was it like a game of Clue or something? Uh, no, but there was secret passageways. So like, there was the big entryway area, and then on both sides there was like classrooms, right? Because there were like classrooms for uh, Sunday school and whatnot, right? Uh huh. And so there was a secret passageway that went from one side to the other from one classroom to the other classroom section and over the big giant entryway so were these secret passageways or was this like just ways for people who like worked there to get places quicker uh well it was very like kind of sus honestly like it was stable and everything but it kind of just felt like we were walking through a closet that happened to connect Hmm. odd yeah, it's great. So I know that this might come as a surprise to some people if this is the first episode of this show that you're listening to, but this is a video games podcast, and when we come back from this short break, uh, we are going to talk about the video games that we've been playing this week. So uh, stay tuned, and we will be right back. Hello there. I'm Mojess. Be sure to add an underscore to the middle if you're browsing on Twitch. 
If you like a variety of strategy, simulation, and management style games in a cozy, wholesome environment, I have got the channel for you. Stop by at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, which is UTC minus 7, Mondays through Thursdays to join in on the fun. And now, please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. All right, everybody, we are back. This is the Halcyon Frequency Podcast, and I am blind, and uh, I'm joined by Bell and Aaron Suey. And this is the, the the part of the show where Larry comes out and sings a silly song. But after that, we're going to talk about some video games. So, uh, uh, Bellinaire, do you want to tell us the tales of the uh, Elden Rings? I, I guess I can. So, <laughs> you guess like like all of the internet, I've been playing Elden Ring as well, and uh, it's been it's been great. It's probably gonna be my game of the year. Like, I don't see anything else being better than that. This is probably one of the best games I've ever played, to be honest. Are you expecting this to be a very short year or a very slow year? Uh, I don't know. Probably a, <laughs> probably a very slow year. I, I don't know. Who, who knows what comes out at the end of the year or towards the end of the year. But it, it is it is just such a good game. Like it, Obviously, you have to like that type of game. If you don't like Souls-style uh, games, uh, then, then you don't like that type of games. But, uh, this is very much the same, so, but it's just a... Uh, Everything is improved, uh, and there's a lot of uh, open world uh, features and all kinds of things uh, that just really blow me away. How much of a Dark Souls, but it's Breath of the Wild, is this? It is it's very much that, uh, to be honest. Uh, like, all the mechanics and everything is uh, still the same. Like, uh, literally down to all the damage types and like little details is exactly like Dark Souls. So if you know those, it's all of that knowledge carries over. Also, a lot of the assets and a lot of the like weapons and everything is exactly the same as previous games. They just ported pretty much everything from the previous games into this one, and then just added a about the same amount of more things on top of that. And then they threw like a massive open world into it, which actually is kind of interesting because comparing to like a lot of other open world games like Skyrim's and well, Breath of the Wild as well. Uh, all of those games have like a have like a they have a massive world, but it usually is pretty empty, and have this like a kind of copy paste, uh, especially like Skyrim's and so on, uh, uh, just dungeons that are copy pasted from one to another. And it's like, well, this is the seventh of this kind of same dungeon I've done. Uh, I got a couple items to sell and really nothing interesting. But then in Dark Souls uh, or Elden Ring, I mean. Uh, Pretty much anywhere you go, you'll find something interesting. Although, obviously, they also recycle a lot of the content. Uh, but, uh, like the, the, the... So, w- when you say recycling content, are you talking about, like, enemy types? Are you talking about, like, I've seen that tree before, or that rock is weirdly... Uh, well, like, enemy types, for sure. Recent looking. But they also keep throwing new ones, and uh, they, they like vary them a little bit. Uh, like, there's this uh, uh, kind of three guardian avatar boss uh, that I've probably killed, like, seven times now. But it's always a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, they definitely do recycle a lot of the enemies uh, uh, between the places, and also like these mini dungeons that you find uh, here and there, or actually kind of all over the place. Uh, some of the layouts on those, and some of the assets, like uh, how how they've done, uh, you can see that okay, this is the exact same thing I saw in the other dungeon like seven times already. But it's not like it's not in a really bad way. Uh, sometimes it feels like it. 
they could have a little varied at this a little more. So I, you know, I, I think one of the main things that I've heard out because I'm not a Dark Souls person. I, I don't I don't play those games. Um, but the the kind of main criticism I've seen coming at this game is that it is too much like previous Dark Souls games. And I've heard from a or read a couple of reviews, basically just kind of wishing that it kind of was a little bit more deliberate in its mechanics. Like there's a lot of bespoke things that you're doing in this game that just end up taking place in menus. And I, I, an example of kind of bespoke mechanics is like sitting down in Red Dead Redemption and taking five minutes to skin an animal or um, polishing or sharpening your swords in Monster Hunter. Um, do, do you feel that like the game could have gone more in that direction or do you think it kind of works the way it is i think it works better as it is uh, like it, it definitely doesn't have uh, that much of a uh, like menial maintenance and things that you need to do and there's no there isn't like a crafting system that they added in this one but it's mostly like um consumables like a uh, poison removal and stuff like that you didn't actually have to like grind uh, materials to make weapons and everything everything is something you discover or uh, drops from an enemy uh, the, uh, in general, like the whole joy of discovery is uh, like amazing in this, uh, because uh, literally everything you see on the map is something you can go to. Like you see an amazing building somewhere, or like there's a ruined church or whatever, you can eventually get to there, and there is something for you to find there or something to kill there. There's usually at least one boss in like each of the locations as well. And there's always like something to go for. But yeah, it, it I mean it's it's exactly like uh, that other Dark Souls. So if you don't like that type of game, then it's definitely not for you. So I can definitely see people who uh, maybe played uh, like a Dark Souls one or something uh, and wanted something different. Uh, this is definitely not something different. But on the other hand, uh, the fans uh, kind of wanted more of the same as well. So you can't change it too much. Uh. But on the other hand, like they also like the the previous game they did the Sekiro. Uh, was a lot of different like it's obviously a very similar type of game but they did change uh, like literally uh, how the movement works and everything like uh, it was a lot more 3d movement with the grappling hook and uh, you had only one weapon uh, so you didn't have the, like a choice of uh, weapons or anything from the outside the FromSoft seems to kind of have like four prongs of their design there's the mech games that they haven't made one in in forever there's kind of more of the like attack and like aggro and parry focus of um bloodborne yeah uh, and especially sekiro sekiro went like yeah to the other end of fully yeah. on that uh, like parrying and everything yeah yeah sekiro like kind of looked more like a uh, like patterns and parries and all of that yeah, kind it very of thing much is, yeah. whereas th this seems to be very much in that dark souls mode and my my question uh because like I think you've played all of the Dark Souls games, haven't you? Yeah, except the well, the Demon Souls, the first one I didn't play. Yeah, yeah, because that's never made its way to PC, if I'm not mistaken. No, um, it does run really well in emulators. Uh, but it, it, it since since Demon Souls has never made it to PC, that's the one that you've missed. And my my question is, is how is it like difficulty wise compared to the previous games? I mean, it's been a while since I played any of the actual Dark Souls. Like Sekiro was the previous one I played. Um. It's not been too hard to be honest. Like, it, it feels easier, and um, 
it feels uh, like there's um, a lot more like build variety because it's not so hard so you can kind of do whatever you want uh, and pick any weapon and pick any spell and just do well with that um so it definitely feels uh, easier. Uh, I feel like at, at the moment where I'm currently uh, in the in the game, uh, although I, I did hear that uh, late game it like spikes the difficulty somewhat, but I'm not I'm not there yet. I'm only like fifty something hours in, so uh, only like fifty something. Th hours. There is another fifty plus just, easily just, there. Just getting going. <laughs> but it, it feels like currently where I'm in the game, I feel like uh, I'm maybe a little too more too powerful. Like stuff uh, is getting a little too easy. Like I, I just before we started recording this podcast, I was playing and uh, I two shotted a boss, uh, which wasn't a very difficult, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I've seen some like, not I, I've heard kind of interesting reports out of uh, the difficulty of this one, just because like, like you have torrent the horse, right? Which I've been told has a double jump, um, and. You can do some wild stuff and just kind of outrun a lot of the enemies. I know that I've definitely seen some enemies outrun the horse, but the majority of, like, normal mobs, you can just kind of walk away from them. So, like, it's kind of interesting to see from do different things. Like, I, I'm a game design nerd, even if I don't play a lot of mainstream games. Like, I, I love seeing what they're doing. And just from software has a very kind of focused design style where they want the player to be channeled in towards uh, a, a, an encounter and then you have to overcome said encounter and then they give you a bit of a break and their sense of pacing is very very deliberate which i as a nerd of this sort of thing i have a lot of respect for that the way they design their corridors and avenues and um how does that translate to the open world like does it still kind of have that up and down feel or does it end up feeling more like like i do they fall into the ubisoft trap of like oh there's just stuff all over the place or do they actually do, do they give you the player time to breathe there is definitely stuff all over the place but they, they also give you brief like the, the open world is like you said you can just basically ride a horse and run past most things like i, I was uh, running into this area today and uh, a massive dragon just pops out of the corner and i'm like nope and i just ran past the dragon uh, whatever drops behind him so you, you can just like just keep a lot of the stuff uh. but it, it, they definitely have like the like the open world is like very open like you can explore things uh. you can also uh, skip a lot of content uh, uh, at least temporarily it might be required for a story later but you can actually like skip a mass like major portions of the uh, game uh, and go see what's behind them uh, before actually doing the content uh, which is a really interesting uh approach but uh then they have like this more like um like a more like sectioned off areas like there's this uh like storm stormware uh stormvale castle uh which is one of the main uh storyline areas uh, and it's uh, definitely like much more of the older traditional dark soul style like uh, you said like corridors and everything but it also has like a million branching paths of how you can approach that place uh, which is really interesting uh, but yeah they kind of combine both of that uh, but it also feels like the whole like you said that there are like masters of building like these uh, kind of arenas uh, for bosses and then like uh, like gauntlets to get to the bosses. Uh. But the, the open world seems to be uh, something new to them as well. And uh, some of the design around it is possibly not uh, that great. Uh. Um, some of the bosses especially uh, work a little weird uh, because they're not sectioned off into this like a set area arena where you fight it, but it's actually open world. Um. So they have uh, like mechanics like a uh, uh, especially some of the dragon fights outside them um, are um, a little glitchy. 
Like the boss uh, may despawn and teleport mm. back to its location if you take it too far away. Uh, and like some pathfinding of these... issues, or sorry, like pathfinding issues. Yeah, not, not really pathfinding issues, but it's just like uh, if you take it too far uh, far away from the spawn location, it just uh, teleports back to the spawn location. But it often actually does keep the health. Like uh, compared to other games where that happens, uh, they usually just uh, reset the whole encounter. But at least this one uh, still keeps the health, so you just go, can go back and poke it again. Um, but like, uh, yeah, there's terrain issues. Uh, some of the bigger mobs, like the dragons, uh, they don't really know how to play in some of the more rougher terrain. Like if it if it's flat, it's fine. But in uh, in especially some parts of the areas, uh, I was really frustrated by one of the dragons uh, that uh, kept uh, teleporting around and glitching and uh, doing all kinds of weird things. Uh. Now, do do you think that that's more of a fault of the? Like just their engine and the way the games those games work, or do you think that's something that can be fixed? No, I don't think it's just uh, the how it works. Uh, uh, it's just uh, the, the some of the uh, like areas uh, may not be designed uh, exactly well for that kind of encounter, and they would have should have uh, like left a little bit more space. I mean, they could uh, easily like that dragon uh, that I keep saying um, could be improved a lot uh, if they actually just did, like deleted a couple of the. Um, random uh, plants and terrain features that are around there, and then it would be le- glitching a lot, lot lesser. So it's something they could uh, definitely do if it just and it didn't really change anything other than remove a couple plants from the terrain. Because like I'm thinking back to a lot of classic Dark Souls bosses, and it's like you walk through the you walk through the fog, and then you're just in a room. Yeah. Like maybe there'll be stairs or a chair in the corner, but like you're mostly just kind of in a room. Yeah. The- and then that that's where the fight happens yeah. and I, these i guess are more like on op- like terrain right yeah they, they do also yeah. have those uh, like uh, that kind of bosses in the like, like more sectioned of areas so then so you get you get the both uh, experiences basically yeah it, it's kind of funny watching your streams of this game because it's like you'll go from like being in this weird like almost psychedelic beautiful landscape to then like oh i found a doorway and now I'm just in a Dark Souls level. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of exactly. it's kind of funny, like how quickly it changes. And then but... you have like teleport, uh, like you have a uh, from the start of the game, you have freedom of uh, teleporting from any of the uh, sites of Grace, which basically the bonfires from the previous game. So basically, like save points, and you have uh, the freedom of teleporting between them uh, from uh, from the start of the game. Uh, so you can easily just go wherever you feel like quickly. And okay, I don't like this area. I go back to the other area. But they also have these like teleports uh, that take you all over the place. Uh, and suddenly you, you do find yourself like, this doesn't look like where I was a second ago. But they also have done like, a, like visually this game is like just insanely, insanely bit pretty. Like some of the areas that we've been like in the last couple of days while I've been streaming the game are just like breathtaking. Like they, they, they know how to do amazing visuals. Uh, one of the streamers that I watch later in the day usually uh, very much slow plays games like this. Like it famously took him 500 hours almost to finish. Um, uh, why, why am I uh, Death Stranding, the the backpack walkie slow game? Um, because he would literally just like find a pretty vista and then just like sit his character down, and just hang out for a bit, smoke a cigarette. Yeah, <laughs> like, I can see just people enjoying doing this, the uh... scenery. And I, I have a feeling it's going to take him about a thousand hours to finish Elden Ring. Yeah, but... absolutely. Like there, there's just some amazing locations. Just stare at what's going on there, and then uh, the, you have a uh, dynamic weather. You have a uh, day-night cycle as well, so you can uh, pop in different times of the day there, see what it looks like. Um... 
I, I wish that I could tolerate the camera in Souls games because the art design in them is wonderful. Yeah. The, the camera has always been the the enemy number one <laughs> in Dark Souls. So it's it's all it's all that's a one thing that's uh, carried over from game to game and it's always been bad and it's still still as bad as it's always been. Uh, that that part is unfortunate, but I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying uh, the Elden Ring. I am. And since I'm you said that you're only 50 hours in, I'm I'm sure we'll talk with you about Elden Ring again. <laughs> Likely. Podcast Likely next week if I'm on the next week's episode. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're scheduled for the next one, but if you want to come on, like you can like you can opt yeah, absolutely yeah. come on and <laughs> talk about it. Um, but um, so Sui's still on this podcast. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think I... she got up and left or anything. So uh, do you want to tell us about the time that you joined a cult? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I've It's right there <laughs> in the document. Honey, I joined a cult in from yeah, it, un- under it, Suey here. <laughs> it's a game. Yeah, published it's by Team way. Seventeen. It's a video. Yeah, game. it's a game by Team Seventeen. Yeah. Um, so, t- t- tell yeah. us about Honey, I joined a cult. I think Bellinger's played this one too. I started playing it like right before the demos happened, and once they finished, I started playing it again. Um. Yeah, I expected it to just kind of not be good, honestly. Like, when I first started playing it, I was like, I mean, it could be good. I guess I'll try it out. That was kind of my viewpoint, right? But I've actually been pretty impressed. It feels more in-depth than Prison Architect was. Um, And Prison Architect, to me, felt like it kind of lacked depth because it just felt like you got them happy and that was it, you know? You got your prisoners happy, and that was it. But this one, like, you have all these resources you have to manage, too. I never played a release version of Prison Architect, but I remember it kind of just becoming, like, the uh, more of just a, I build a big prison game. Less of Yeah, um, pretty much. Less of a super serious managing that game, but it was always fun. Like, I, I enjoyed Prison Architect a whole bunch. But Honey, I Joined a Cult is, like, if Prison Architect was more focused on being a management sim than it is on being a sandboxy build a prison game okay because like it certainly has that look but like every time i've seen people playing it it already seems like there's a bunch of stuff constructed so mm-hmm. like what's what's the gameplay loop of honey i joined a cult and gave everybody cthulhu hats uh like <laughs> like what, what what what's the minute to minute in that game um basically you have a bunch of resources that you're managing so you have to have enough faith or your people get really upset and angry mm-hmm. you gotta have money to keep building stuff and researching further and having the ability to then get more people in your cult um and then you have a couple other uh resources you need to keep up so if you want to get better people there's a pr one that you have to keep up and like if uh your heat level which is like how aware the public is of what you're doing um gets too high then there'll be um there'll be protests and apparently you can even have like a police raid if it gets too bad really yeah and but during those times, your PR rating drops drastically. Weird. If you do those. So, like, you want to keep your PR up while keeping your heat down and also getting all of the other resources so that you can keep researching and upgrading and all that. So, like, I, I, I know this game is a, it's one of them. It's one of them. There's the uh, early access thingies. Um, mm-hmm. what, what kind of things are they are they adding to the game, if, if you know, and, like, what what what's there right uh, now like is it something that, that can be recommended yeah. currently or i haven't looked at a roadmap or anything but i know that like within the game it talks about um them adding some more 
basically your leader can research like specific things that they do. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, we're focused on darkness or, oh, we're focused on something else. I think darkness is the only one they have right now. And then it says that more is being added. Um, I actually gave them feedback on Twitter and told them that, hey, um, it's kind of hard to know how to get each resource once the tutorial goes, you know, I haven't played for a week. I have no idea how to do things anymore. So getting some documentation that we can access at any point, hopefully they do. I gave them feedback and they said they relate it. So yeah. Good to know. Um, but yeah. So is there anything else you want to say about honey? Actually, Bellinger, do you want to say anything about honey? I joined a cult. Yeah. I mean, I I played it as well, um, a few months ago now. Um, the big thing that, that separates it from like a prison architect and a bunch of the other like these management kind of games is that it actually has a end goal. So instead of just a expanding, 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 there is actually an end goal how you win the game. So you need to what is that? Uh, through the leader uh, research, like you pick one of the like uh, kind of evils uh, that you want to go with. Uh, like you, your cult starts as a, like a uh, health spa basically almost, uh, and then you start going into uh, more and more uh, crazier cult things, and then you actually go to like actual like magic and things, uh, and then uh, uh, through the darkness uh, you can basically end the world, uh, for example. Hmm. So there, there is actually like an end goal that you have to aim for. How long is the game? Because I'm like probably like I don't know six or seven hours in, and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. Um, it took me a while, but. Uh, I hope they. Uh, th- that was one of the things that was kind of annoying because it get, got a little grindy at the end uh, to get to the like the ending thing. You needed a lot of money and a lot of uh, like the uh, leader darkness points and so on. Uh, so you just kind of had to grind and grind and grind. But uh, um, at least uh, one of the updates seemed to have improved that. Uh, what I read from the patch notes uh, a while ago. It took me eighteen mm-hmm. hours uh, to finish one run uh, of the whatever X version it was. Uh. Okay. That makes sense. Alright. I mean, I also have more stuff to talk about. So there's Final Fantasy fourteen is having 6.1 launch in mid-April, I believe. Um, sadly, they're not adding the Island Sanctuary, which was what I was most excited for. Which is like a thing where they're basically adding a little area where you can farm and stuff. Um, but, yeah... They're adding a new, uh, oh, what's it called? Ultimate, I believe. And then they're at, I think that was 6.1. I was looking at some screenshots from the live letter that was today. Um, and then they're adding some more story, of course. Uh, I think they're doing the housing. That's what they've been talking about is doing. So they added, they're adding a new housing district that's in the snowy area of the game. And um, yeah. Yeah, new resident. Final Fantasy. Yeah, I actually have the list of the uh, changes coming. Uh, and yeah, there is the, the Imperium new residential district, uh, new dungeon, new trials, new alliance raid. Uh, and uh, this is the most important change. If you play the Final Fantasy, there's going to be more Hildy brand quests. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're adding more glamour plates too. These are all words. <laughs> I don't know what any of them mean, but they sound like a video game, so it sounds fun. Oh, it is. It's very fun. You need to play. Oh, I, I definitely don't. Um, speaking of other things I definitely don't need to play, did you find The Lost Ark yet? 
Um, okay, so I played that, like, a lot. I probably got, like, 75 hours into it, like, a few, in the few weeks after it launched, and then I just kind of stopped. <laughs> um, so, so what's your thoughts on Lost Ark, then, in that case? So it was fun when I was first playing it, but the problem is, is once you get to endgame, it's a grind, and I was watching a YouTube video, and apparently if you play completely free-to-play, you cannot get max tier gear before the next uh, tier comes out. Uh, apparently the only way to do it is you have to level multiple characters. Yeah, 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 you do, but even then, if you're completely free-to-play, you can't actually get the best gear before the next set of gear comes out. Well, I mean, it's made in Korea, so doesn't exactly surprise me. Melanie, yeah, and you it's like playing more, any more of that or not? No, I only played the open beta what they had a uh, a while ago. But I, I've been meaning to get to it, but I I've been traveling and then I've been playing Elden Ring and all of this, so I haven't really gotten around. But I, I do have plans to uh, play it at some point. I did hear today that the uh, the they are getting soon ready for the next year to be released, uh, and that's when uh, it apparently got like really good in Korea. So they're kind of trying to fast track through the early parts of the game in the West and get to the actual good meat that they had. See, I don't like the meat of the game, though, because it's just logging in for a few hours every day, several, several hours, and just doing like the same couple things over and over. There's like a boss fight thing that you do where you don't even get to see any sort of tells for the fight except for the boss's movement. And then you get to, you don't even get to see their health bar, so you never know how far along you are. And then there's like a thing that just swarms you and it gives stuff too. But the amount of times you have to do that to actually progress is ridiculous. Like, yeah, it's that's why pretty, I quit. Pretty cause... standard, uh, like an MMO endgame grindy thing. Yeah? You just log in for the daily yeah, stuff and then you like an MMO. wait for the new content. Uh... Yeah, that just seems like the, the way they keep you on that treadmill long enough for them to make new stuff for you to actually play. Oh, to get to see new content too, you have to upgrade your gear. So like, um, I got to end game, and so once you get to level fifty, you're at end game, right? Um, you can still keep leveling, but it's really, really, really slow. And um, you had to get to a certain point in your item level in order to actually go on with the main story. Huh. So you had to grind for like a week to get further in the story. Yeah, that sounds like an MMO. Or at least a free-to-play MMO. Yeah, I'm not a free-to-play player, usually. I just wanted to try it out, and yeah. I mean, one thing I will say about Lost Ark... Damn, that game looks pretty! Oh, yeah. It's pretty. It's really pretty. <laughs> it's like the one thing I really have to say about that game, because I haven't played it at all. I installed it, and then couldn't log in on the first day, and then uninstalled it. That, that was how my um, relationship with that game went. I was like, you know what? How about I just like reclaim these 80 gigs? Yeah. <laughs> and I felt good about that. Um, but, but I hear it's, um, uh, it's a pretty good experience, apparently, at least uh, from like the starting to about 50, and then maybe ignoring the end game. Like, at least uh, for I... a free experience. Uh, a family member of mine who doesn't play video games very often, she's playing through it, and I think she has about 11 hours in it now, and she's been playing it since launch, and she plays it for about 30 minutes every evening, does like one or two encounters, and then logs out, doesn't finish dailies, and says that it's amazing. So I, I guess if you play slowly and don't grind like crazy, it's maybe a better game? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see like a more like a different approaches to games so like we are obviously like a very heavy end users of uh, gaming uh, streaming and all uh, so on uh, 
I'm seeing like more casual approach uh, to uh, gaming in general. Like I, I was uh, visiting my family uh, last weekend, and uh, apparently my my family has gotten into this um, mobile game uh, about farming, and they're like insanely addicted to that. <laughs> but it's, it's oh my mom. It's crazy mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, my mom was really big on one. What's the name of this game? I, if I can ask. I don't know. Or is this it's like a, a Finnish only thing? Oh, Heyday, says the. Heyday. Yeah. Ooh. Sounds familiar. I feel like I've seen ads for that. Yeah. Heyday. And then doing like fully like free to play as well and everything. It's like, it's it's fun to see because I like they they've never been like gamers. So, like I've been the gamer of the family, and it's fun to see that that. They are like almost a soon retirement age, and they suddenly discover this joy of playing games as well. No, no wonder I've heard of this. Uh, it's made by Supercell, the people who made uh, Clash of Clans. Also, the Finnish company. Uh, also, yeah, a Finnish yeah. company. Yes. Yeah. Um, also owned by Tencent entirely. So, actually, a Chinese company. Um, yeah. Well, the the, but, all, the company itself is in Finland. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're just oh, their parent company is Chinese, but um, yeah. Well, I mean. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I I think we could do a whole episode just on like the differences in the way people consume games. Because like, I I will buy games for different reasons. Like I I I own a couple games that I play like t- ten minutes at a time. Like I I've, I've been playing Trials on and off. And it's like I I shouldn't talk about Trials, but it's like I will probably continue playing Trials for the next couple of years because Trials One is such a good game. Um, but um, have either of you guys played uh, Heroes Hour? No. Mm, haven't even heard of it. I watched Neither a, of you even played the demo? No, I watched a mm-hmm. FG Squared play some of it, but that's uh, all I've seen. Alright, well, I'm going to say mean things about Heroes Hour for the next five minutes. Um, so, so Heroes Hour is um, a perfect example of how to not design UI. Um, Heroes Hour, at its core, it's, it's Heroes of Might and Magic 3, realistically, like structure-wise. Um, it is a very cutesy pixel art. Uh, it o- almost looks like Stream Raiders, just to give Sui kind of a mental image. Mm, okay. um, uh, like, oh. o- like open world strategy game um, based around heroes. So you have a hero and they have uh, an army attached to them. And that army is various minions that can be one of a whole bunch of different races. Um, I played one game as the orcs and I played one game as the humans. And... There's probably a good game there, but the problem with this game is it's so deep in its style and its visuals that it wrecks the game in the process. The battles are auto battles, so unlike Might and Magic, which was like you know your hex grid with turn-based battles, um, it, it, they're auto battles like a Stream Raiders or something. They're one-screen-sized auto battles, and the little units, they bump into each other. They're made out of very few pixels and they bounce like crazy. And I can't discern one unit from another. Half the time, I can't even tell who are my units and who are the enemy units. Uh, the way you interact with the battles is at the beginning, you set where your enemies spawn, where your units spawn and the enemies set where they spawn. And then you have abilities that that hero has or gear that that hero has, which either uses a mana pool or it doesn't depending on the ability. Um, or it's either just strictly on a cooldown or there and when you hover your mouse over the spell book 
um, they made the worst decision possible, which is they attached the camera to the mouse, and you can't detach the camera from the mouse. So I'm not, I don't get motion sick from this, but it's really annoying and extremely hard, especially when all of these units are already bouncing around the screen. You can't pause in the battles, and you're trying to cast these spells, and the UI for the spells shrinks off of the screen when you're not mousing over it to save on screen real estate. So you can't even see your spells or your cooldowns at any time until you mouse over the spell book, which then pops up and covers half of the screen. Um, and also then the mouse, the camera follows the mouse down under your UI and is not looking at the battle anymore. So actually, the act of actually playing the battles I found very unpleasant and not fun because of that. Um, then combine that with also, there's a lot of units in this game. Um, like a lot, a lot. So a lot of them are very small and they all do the same bouncing thing. So I don't even know what I'm fighting against half the time when a fight starts. Um, now, as far as the game itself goes in the overworld, playing it felt fine. It felt like playing a lighter might and magic. It seemed to have a lot of the same things. You know, there is uh, there are buildings that uh, will have um, neutral units at them that you can fight that uh, give you resources to your capital. Um, heroes respawn at your capital uh, the next turn after they die, so, like, death isn't that bad. There's a limited number of units you can hire per week based on the amount of uh, capitals that you have, and uh, as you expand, you, you can play against the AI. It is worth noting, it says it has online play, but the only online play available in the game right now is split screen and local co-op. Um, and because I don't have any friends, I've got no way of trying that multiplayer out. Um, so overall, it's like, I really, really, really want to like this game because I, I love Heroes of Might and Magic 3. I haven't played that game in over a decade, and I know I could go back and play that game, but I want to play a new one. Uh, I may, may, Maybe that's just me being like intimidated by... Um, the community of that game, which is definitely true. It's the same reason I don't really stream Age of Empires and stuff like that, is because I'm genuinely just intimidated by those communities. Um, and Heroes of Might and Magic is very much that. Um, but so I was kind of hoping that this would be like a lighter version of that and scratch that itch without like uh, the overwhelming nature of the competitive community that comes attached to it. Um, but there, may, maybe after a year of patches, I'll like this game, but what is probably a cool game appears to be just kind of overshadowed by poor decision-making from my perspective. And um, one other thing I would like to note is after I uploaded my YouTube video of this particular game and put it up on the YouTube channel, I got a couple comments saying that if you try and do larger battles... So not so the ones I was doing was just me versus me and two AIs that were not on the same team. So it was like a three-person map. Game worked just fine. Apparently the game runs really slowly in the larger battles. And also like the AI in the overworld can break. If there's too much stuff going on and too many different battles happening, they like won't attack each other or they won't attack you. They'll like walk right up next to you and not attack you. So there's some weird like AI things that will probably get smoothed out in patches, but it's... Maybe worth noting. It's it's one of those. It's published by uh, Goblins Publishing, and it seems to be uh, just like a single person development job. Um, Goblins, they they if uh, you're unaware, they they put out um, uh, Legend of Keepers. I think is probably their most well known one, and Banners of Ruin. A couple of other games that people have talked about on here. I, I they seem like a cool publisher, and they put out neat things. That I I talked about this game earlier. Really being interested in playing it, and I'm disappointed. That's that's my babble about. Heroes Hour. So, 
The one other game that uh, I have on here is uh, Aperture Desk Job, which I don't think either of you have played. No, but I'm, I'm very interested here. Nope. Uh, because I, I know you like uh, Portal um, games, for example, a lot. Uh, and you were yeah. pretty hyped for this one as well when it was announced. Uh. Yeah, I got super excited when I saw this. So first off, it's about 30 minutes long. It's free. So I just, before I say anything, I'm just going to recommend that you play it. I'm not going to talk about any story stuff. I'm just going to talk about what the game is mechanically. Mechanically, it is an advertisement for the Steam Deck. Your uh, character is glued to this desk. And of course, that's where all of the Portal-esque writing and comedy kind of comes in around this desk because you're literally stuck to this desk. There's points where you need to move. And they're like, and don't forget your desk. Um, and uh, it's... It's 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 like a it's a thirty minute long on rails narrative experience. Like you don't, there's no moving around. It's all just like a flat space. There's some on rails segments where you have to like point at things, but like it's very much a we're gonna walk you through all of the controls on your controller because I had to play it with an Xbox controller because I don't have a Steam Deck. We're gonna walk through all of the features of the Steam Deck on your controller. Um, so it's like this is the element. Point at this thing. Use this thing. Type at this. You have this feature to do this. Um, so that's what it is mechanically as a game. It is, uh, an addition to lore that we never had, uh, for portal. And I am a really, really, really big fan of portal. And I love the world of aperture and aperture science and all of that kind of like absurdist insanity, like, and just like the aesthetic of those games and everything. I just, I, I love portal. Um, it's pro probably my favorite franchise of all time, just in games. And I'm very happy to see something that isn't uh, Portal Bridge... No, Aperture Bridge Constructor. What what, what do they call that? Portal Bridge Constructor? Bridge Constructor Portal? I think was the name of it. Yeah, that's it. I'm happy to, I'm happy to see a spinoff of the Portal franchise and, like, the Half-Life universe that isn't Bridge Constructor Portal because that game was... It didn't hold up in the writing. It didn't hold up in the art design. It it just it. I stopped. I never finished it because it just it started. It became hard to play after a while because it's like this isn't Portal. This feels like a cheap knockoff of Portal. Yeah, it was pretty everything much a, about this like a bridge constructor game, but just a bit uh, Portal skin. Yeah, Where, whereas this it holds up. It it the writing is the same level of quality. The jokes are funny. Uh, the quips are good. If you've played Portal, you'll realize about five minutes in what this is actually about, and it'll make you feel all warm and fuzzy. Um, you get to run into old characters and hear new voice lines by the same voice actors. It, it's it's great. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I'll probably replay it at some point. I wish they'd put achievements in it or something so I could have reason to go back to play it again because... I don't know. It was just a really enjoyable 30 minutes, and I like short games. I It's free. Go play Bridge... Con or not Bridge Constructor. Uh, go play Aperture Desk Job. It's great. Yeah, I was just going to ask, uh, like, the, how long was it? Uh, but, uh... Uh, I've only played it once, and I didn't really take my time or anything, and my uh, time on it is... Uh, I think it's, like, 34 minutes. Um 34 minutes, yeah, yeah. So and that, that's including like turning on subtitles in the yeah. In the so menu. it's like short enough to really do at any any random day. Yeah, just 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 play it. it it's good. It, it is it is an advertisement for their tech, but it is a entertaining advertisement for their tech. So, and I wish more companies would do playable teasers. I mean, PT is a bloody legend. So, I think that's uh. Is that it for games for us here? All right. Uh, we're going to take another quick break here. 
And uh, when we return, we are going to discuss the news. Uh, we'll, we'll see you again right after this short break. Do you like indie games? Or what about strategy? Are you tired of screen shake and motion blur? Stop by my streams on Twitch to discover new games and experience wholesome community interaction in a simulation sickness friendly environment. You can find me on twitch.tv slash 2 I'll see you there. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Suey's least favorite section of the podcast. This is the news section where we talk <laughs> about the news that's happened in the last week. Um, and uh, we, we before, before we actually get into um, uh, more newsy things, uh, you know, the, we're, we're going to talk about some world stuff real quick, so uh, buckle up. Um, everybody has seen the news. We all know what's going on. Um, with between Russia and Ukraine and what's going on in Eastern Europe. So uh, I just kind of wanted to take this moment to kind of highlight a few things in the games industry that are helping uh, to support people that have been displaced and um, uh, helping um, Ukraine in, in their efforts. Uh, so the, the first thing that I would like to highlight here is um, one John Romero, uh, who little indie developer, um, I think he made a game called Doom. Um, and a bunch of other things. Uh, anyway, uh, legendary metal daddy John Romero um, released a uh, a level for Doom Two, uh, which you can buy from his website Romero, um, which is I think I think it's literally just Romero.com, but um, you can buy it from his website. It's five euros, and one hundred percent of the money goes towards supporting Ukraine. And um, it's a new level for Doom Two. Um, he's done these before. He's released a couple, uh, independent levels, including, uh, I think they were called Sigil and Sigil 2, I think he is what the names of them were. Um, but they're, they're basically expansion packs for original Doom 2. Um, one of the first first person shooters and, or at least one of the first popular first person shooters. Um, so if you are uh, an old fogey like me and you still sometimes go back and play Doom, I maybe, maybe go chuck five euros at a good cause and play a level of doom. I don't know if there's anything else that needs to be said on that subject, aside from shout outs to good old John for uh, doing awesome stuff. Uh, the next one is uh, this war of mine has been giving a hundred percent of their profits to uh, UK Ukraine relief efforts um, where they are, uh, as they have done in the past for other um, scary events. Uh, this is 11 bits own this war of mine. Um, 11 bit Polish publisher. Um, this war of mine would always had a, a charitable portion to it. They've always given portions of the revenue of this game to various humanitarian efforts to, uh, stop wars around the world. Um, the, the game itself, this war of mine, if you've never played it is, uh, from the perspective of civilians in a, in a conflict, it's a pretty heartfelt game and can get kind of tough and heavy in places, but I do really love the game. Uh, I actually put like 50 hours into it at launch. I actually had it hundred percented. Then they added 10 more achievements. Then I hundred percented it again. Then they added 10 more achievements. And then I kind of got halfway to 100%ing it again. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stop. And now there's like, I'm not even 50% complete. And they stopped doing that. Anyway, uh, so great game. This War of Mine, uh, all of the DLC was on sale last week, but that's continuing on for another week. So uh, another one that I can shout out here is uh, Darkwood uh, developer Acid Wizard um, is jumping on with uh, This War of Mine. Uh, and they worked with their publisher, who isn't 11-bit, but different Polish publisher, smaller Polish publisher. Um, they're, they're also donating 100% of their profits for the next week to Ukraine. I know Kiri has played Darkwood. I, I don't know if any, any either of you have, but um, very mm -hmm. good game. 
I've played well, this War of Mine, but not Darkwood. Wonderful atmospheric horror thing. Um, it's a nightmare, but play it. It's good. Um, next on this list here, we have Good Old Games um, is no longer selling their games in Russia. And um, between them and CD Projekt Red, they're donating roughly $220,000 uh, in support and funding uh, to Ukraine and relief efforts. So there's that. And uh, lastly, alongside of a billion different social media networks and uh, other big sites, uh, just in game specific, you can no longer um, buy uh, games from Microsoft or EA games in Russia. One other thing that I would like to note as well is even in Russia, um, some studios, I, I've seen screenshots of this from some members of my community that some studios are um, setting their regional pricing to the American dollar instead of the ruble uh, in Russia so that games are now suddenly costing like tens of thousands of dollars uh, in equivalent, um, just to kind of make a point which I think is worth noting because, like, while it's scary, it's, I don't know, it, it's it's worth mentioning. Um, but, yeah, I hope everybody's doing their best to keep safe, keep out of lines of fire, and, you know, yeah, go home. Yeah, there's also a lot of news that um, not just direct donations, but a lot of the companies are helping people who either worked for them directly or have been uh, somehow involved, like with Ubisoft and Gogan. CD Projekt Red, obviously, and all, all of these Eastern European game developers, especially, um, they're like mm -hmm. helping also people to uh, get out of the country and uh, supporting them in multiple different ways, which is uh, in, insanely awesome to see how all of yeah. gaming industry is just uh, coming to support uh, not just their own, but also like the whole whole of Ukraine. Looking at it right now, it's like I really don't expect Stalker Two to come out this year at all anymore, and like. Uh, Stone Shard, which is a, a game that I famously dislike, um, put out an announcement with their most recent patch saying, we don't know when our next patch will be because half of our team is in a war zone now. Yeah. Obviously, uh, there's going to be a so. lot of delays and probably many games will not come out at all because of this as well. Yeah. Man, if this cancels Stalker 2, I'm going to be so bummed <laughs> in like five years when I realize that. But... Um... Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 dark times. It's scary world that we live in. But um, I figured that it was worth mentioning here at the very least. So once again, you can buy a Doom Two level from John Romero. Uh, this war of mine has raised eight hundred fifty thousand dollars up until now and is still going. Um, and Darkwood has just joined. I've also heard rumblings from various peoples at certain publishers that there's going to be another uh, Itch.io bundle. Uh, that because they they've done several over the past two years um there was the the black lives matter bundle which did huge there was the free palestine bundle which also did extremely well on itch um and uh i'm i'm there there will be one for ukraine coming uh so there's also that and uh also worth noting just this morning i started up a tilted five campaign um which i'm just going to kind of let sit in the background on my channel indefinitely and i know fg also has one as well um both going through the, 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 the same group, which is uh, Project Hope, uh, and that's supporting civilians and displaced uh, refugees in the area. So uh, if that, like, if, if any of that sounds good to you, go, go do something good and help some people out. Um, now, uh, 
let's go into more of the normal news, I think. Um, Bandcamp got bought by Epic? Yeah, that was kind of surprising what? news to see. <laughs> but, uh, it also it, makes a lot of sense. Uh, like, uh, It's where you get a lot of, uh, like, especially smaller artists uh, posting their um, uh, music uh, and then integrating that into the whole Epic uh, family of uh, games development. Uh, because obviously you need music for a uh, game development as well, which will then be an amazing bridge uh, for like smaller artists to possibly get their music into uh, anything that runs uh, Unreal. So, like for clarity's sake here, uh, in Bandcamp's notice when they when they state that they are joining Epic Games, uh, they more or less make it clear that they're going to be operating as an independent entity. They just simply have the parent company of Epic Games. And this was, like, I spend, a, the, the majority of my spending money goes to Bandcamp, more or less. Um, I buy quite a few records off of there. And my initial reaction when I saw this pop in my email was after I'd been streaming for an hour, I spat my coffee back into my cup and shouted what really loudly. Um, I don't have the same animosity towards Epic Games that some people do. I, I know that there's definitely some people that have, that have some very strong emotions against Epic Games. I don't think that Epic Games' business practices the way they, like their 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 business model for the Epic Games launcher of going out and seeking out exclusives. I don't think that that applies to Bandcamp at all. No. And so the main reason for people disliking Epic doesn't really apply to Bandcamp. Yeah, outside like the the store that a lot of people don't like. Um, if you look what they do with like supporting a developers and actually getting a resources and money and everything around uh, is is actually really really good uh, and you get to really argue, argue against that uh, and if they get some kind of like same kind of um, support for Bandcamp and resources to develop the whole uh, Bandcamp uh, in, into an even better thing that only can lead into good things yeah I mean I Bandcamp doesn't really need help right now well the, the one thing that like really started to make sense after I thought about this news story for a day was well, something that Fortnite does is they want Fortnite to be a plant a, pl a platform. They don't want Fortnite to necessarily be a game. Like there's multiple games within Fortnite now, right? Like there's the normal like battle royale mode, but there's also a definitely not just Among Us mode, um, as well as other things that they do. They also put concerts in Fortnite. Um, to me, like they also recently purchased Harmonix. To me, this seems like kind of a connection to that, like. Suddenly, they now have their tendrils into the pockets of a lot of musicians out there. And if they recently bought Harmonix, to, who is being brought on to work on Fortnite, as well as work on their own stuff still, since they purchased Harmonix, it makes it makes logical... For Harmonix, for reference, they, they made Rock Band, for anybody who doesn't know. Um, and originally, um, uh, Guitar Hero. Uh, they... Since, since they're now in possession of Harmonix and also the biggest independent music distributor in the Western world, more or less, um, that isn't a major corporation or a streaming service, um, I, I think that they're, 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 it, there's pieces of this puzzle that start to make sense, but the, the thing that I just keep coming back to is, don't you break this one, Epic. This Tim Sweeney? Tim, can I call you Tim? Yeah, just, just just come over here. Don't mess this up. Thanks, Tim. That's all I have to say to Epic. 
next one, if I'm just leading us through here. Uh, Sui, do you want to talk about your experiences with Amazon Luna? Yeah, so uh, Blind and Bell let me know today that there's a thing called Amazon Luna that just launched in the U.S. for anyone who has Amazon Prime. Um, by the way, if you have Amazon Prime, you can also get Twitch Prime for free, <laughs> which gives you a free Twitch sub to any streamer of your choice. And loot for games you'll never use. <clears throat> okay. Anyway, did you hear something? No. Okay. Okay. Just checking. Sorry. Just I thought I on the heard like, hmm. Okay, anyway, yeah, so they've launched that, and since I'm in the U.S., I went ahead and checked it out, um, and they really don't have much selection yet, and I did feel quite a bit of lag. Um, I would move my mouse, and then it would move, you know, so it, there was definitely a little bit of lag, and then um, also I found that there was a little... Now, the game I was playing, the start screen for it has rain in it, so that doesn't help, but... When I moved my camera really fast, um, there was an area that was like a lit dashboard on a uh, car. And when I moved where that is showing on the screen, it just artifacted really hard. So, yeah. But, I mean, it seems like if they just work on improving the tech a bit more, it could be worth noting. So, the, the, the thing that's interesting about Amazon Luna, for, the, for those of you who don't know, Luna is essentially just Amazon's answer to Stadia, which is kind of hilarious since, like, Stadia is, like, a null point in existence at this point like just like yeah state you can still use stadia if you want but like google doesn't care um and luna is just a attempt at uh, it's amazon's attempt at taking the streaming platform marketplace for games um not too dissimilar to like what netflix is trying to do and what microsoft is working on with xcloud and looking at this, I think that it's maybe one of the biggest threats to the space, purely in, in the space, just purely because of the fact that like it's connected to Prime. Um, within uh, Amazon Luna, they also have two other subscriptions. So there's the base one, which is just included with Prime, just like Prime Video and all that. Uh, but they, they do have a second tier, which is uh, like $6 more, which gives you more game variety. And then they have another package that you can also subscribe separately, which gives you all, which basically gives you Ubisoft Plus because Ubisoft has their own subscription service, um, which gives you access to everything on there. Now I don't know if this is active yet, but I was reading about this service a couple of months ago that it does that it, it's supposed to have cross saves with your UPlay account. So if you also have a UPlay account and you have a, and you're subscribed to Amazon Luna, then th with for the Ubisoft channel, and you also own those games locally saves should transfer between the two which is like the thing that um granted you'll have to purchase them locally most likely or um ha they have to be on that streaming service um and so i i would assume that uh that 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 would work um which i guess could be a selling point if you travel a lot if people do that these days but i'm somebody who like if i'm on the go i don't want to play a game like these and I'm not going to get rid of my computer. So it's I'm kind of not in the market for these services. But considering it's it's already included in something that I already own, if it becomes available in Canada, I'd absolutely try it. Why not? I'll play some games. I don't, I, yeah, I'm definitely I, interested I as well. Like I always was interested in the Google's version as well, but the, the uh, pricing and all of that uh, just didn't really fit me. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, Stadia's issue was they wanted you to buy the games. Yes. But at least with this, like, it's just, it's, it's, this is more the Game Pass model where you, yeah. you just have they're, them. they're kind of piecemealing it, uh, like having Ubisoft games here and then the retro bundle here and so on and so on. So you, you start to get pretty expensive uh, on top of your uh, already, mm-hmm. like, the Prime subscription. But, like, I, as somebody who, who does have Amazon Prime and I do watch things on Prime Video, I will subscribe to Shudder for one month, once every couple of months, which is like six bucks, and watch a bunch of horror movies. And then unsubscribe from Shudder. And like, I, I subscribe and unsub the same day so that it just runs out after 30 days, and then it's fine. Um, and I, I think that's kind of the way to do it with Amazon channels. Um, I I get it. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I it, it feels like a service where unless that is your only streaming service and your only source of media, you're not, you're never going to need to like subscribe to all those channels and just leave them running. Like maybe you're on a retro kick and you just want to play retro games. You could subscribe to the bundle that has those. Maybe uh, you just want to play a bunch of a, a certain type of story game. You subscribe to a bundle that has those or a channel that has those. Maybe you just want to play, uh, I don't know. Yeah. The Ubisoft stuff. You subscribe for one month, maybe three because you probably need to, but even like, if it's seventeen ninety nine a month for that Ubisoft channel, even if you subscribe for three months, it's like what the cost of one Assassin's Creed game. So like depending on what you're doing, like you can cost management it and make it make sense. But yeah, um, it's it's just a like yeah, a, it, it does obviously a because we have uh, PCs and everything to play things on. Uh, like for example, Game Pass is a lot more value for the money compared to this. Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I especially if you have the computer to run it. Or uh, an Xbox Game Pass is a much better service yeah. from what like I've I, seen I would, uh, at this point. If, if this was like a, the Xbox Game Pass, but you could just play all of these games uh, without having to install them, I would use that a lot. But having just to like piecemeal the prices uh, for a, this and that uh, then makes it like not that interesting to me. That is what xCloud's supposed to do, so they just need to launch that. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm looking forward for to that. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that one will be there streaming game streaming service for me like uh, stadia and this uh, mm-hmm. haven't really it's like also... they're so close to being really good like obviously because of where i live uh, i have really good access to really high speed internet and everything so i'm like a prime market location for this uh kind of a service uh, but uh, they haven't really hit it yet uh, exactly yeah i uh... I think that X, X, xCloud is kind of the big unknown. There's also GeForce Now, which I forgot about until just now. Yeah, um, I found really good. Like, I haven't I, I, tried that yet myself. It, but uh, like uh, several of my uh, community members have, are using that, and they've been really satisfied uh, doing that. Uh. Yeah. I, I think that these services getting good is the thing that's hinging on whether or not I buy a laptop in the next two years. Like, if, if these services suddenly get good, I could see myself purchasing a laptop, like, not nothing fancy, just something fast, like something that I can either connect to a wire connection or have like good connected to my Wi-Fi and like something that I can use in my apartment um, that I could do work not at my desk, but also have like a portable gaming device that's cheaper than a Steam Deck. Um, maybe one day we'll see. Uh, on the topic of the the Steam Deck, uh, Valve has open sourced the Steam OS Dev Kit client for the Steam Deck, which is rad. Uh, so. It, you just go and download the Steam OS, and then you have access to the Steam Deck. Yeah, this is Dev obviously client. really good for uh, just the users and also for uh, anyone who's wanting to develop uh, for the Steam Deck. Um, yeah, no, I mean th- this is fantastic because it ties right into the story that we have like wind up right after it as well. 
um, which is uh, there is um, there is some stick drift on the Steam Deck, and users were worried about it. But because it's open source, um, there's already a, a patch for it. They've already fixed it. So it's kind of a non-issue, but just to kind of show you the power of what happens when communities have control over a thing. Yeah, um, and Steam, the Steam awesome. Deck seems to be doing extremely well. Like people are really enjoying mm -hmm. it, and uh, obviously there's over like a thousand games you can play on it already, and everything. So I, I can see this. Uh, this is like really thinking of like uh, people like their switches and so on. But when you already have a a massive Steam library and you can suddenly play it on a portable device, uh, I can really see the the interest in that and value for myself as well. Like I, I have a Switch myself as well. I don't really use it uh, that much to be honest uh, and I don't really feel like buying games for it uh, but if I can already play the games I already have uh, on my massive Steam library I can see myself uh, using the Steam Deck much more I'm not going to say that there is a uh, you know a um, a version of MAME and a version of Dolphin that already runs on the Steam OS but like I, I don't think I need to I can just say that it does Yeah, being, being an open source in general like a uh, you're gonna see a lot more than just the Steam games there. Like people are gonna use it for uh, all kinds of things. Uh, since it's basically a handheld portable PC. And um, it, and one one other thing about the Steam Deck is, uh, if you lived in Seattle and you bought it day one, uh, there was a very legitimate chance that Gabe Newell may have delivered it himself to you in the last few days. <laughs> um, that would be Gabe interesting. Newell... <laughs> Gabe Newell was literally driving door to door with a delivery truck, delivering Steam decks by hand, direct to people per who purchased them within the day. He was doing also very interesting, uh, like uh, interviews uh, while using the uh, Steam Deck and like showcasing playing Final Fantasy fourteen on it and talking about all kinds of things. Uh. Gabe Newell's always struck me as one of the few people in this industry that didn't go totally nuts when he got a lot of money, but maybe he's just always been completely nuts, so it just, like, blends in. <laughs> yeah, just in a different way. Yeah, Gabe's insane in his own gabe way. I like Gabe. He seems like a cool dude. I mean, everyone but, needs uh, to be a little interesting in some way. It's like, if, if you're just a boring normal, it's not fun. And you have to be insane in some way to bring some spice yeah, to life, just, have a massive collection of knives and buy a racing team and donate all their profits to charity. You know, be more like Gabe. <laughs> anyway. I mean, you could um, spend it with so, us uh, as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, that, that's kind of our uh, our news section of the pod, I think, unless there's anything I've missed in here, which I don't think No, I, I think have. we got everything. Lots of not, not, not happy news and some good news. Well, yeah. Anyway, uh, you know what is happy? Uh, we got some user questions that were submitted on our Discord, the Halcyon Frequency Discord. You can find that over on the Halcyon Frequency website. There's multiple links to the Discord on the website. Just go to halcyonfrequency.com and uh, scroll down to the bottom. You'll find that link. Uh, in that Discord, there is a room called Podcast Questions. Ask us anything. Anything. Within reason. Um, Silly, do you want to take the, the first one we have here on the list? Sure. So we got a question from Cutest Ghost asking, first game we've played. So I'm assuming this is like in our life. I would assume so too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, I guess I can go first. Uh, it was, so I grew up and my dad had an NES. So I played that on that a little bit growing up. So that was my introduction. 
Um, it's since I can remember, I played some of the Super Mario Brothers games on that, and then I played Bubble Bobble, and then they had this, uh, Disney game that was like a Mario, not Mario, <laughs> Mickey Mouse thing, and it was like a little platformer thing, and I was never able to get past the first boss, but I still really liked it. What so. console was that on? The Mickey Mouse thing? NES. Okay, gotcha. I think it was Mickey's Magic Castle or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Bellinair, any ideas? Or should I go? I'm not sure. I I was trying to think about uh, what uh, what the first game I played might may have been. It's been so many years ago. But uh, it's probably some uh, NES stuff as well, like original, like the Super Mario or something like that. Very likely as well. I, I played a lot of... Um, I, I was an indoor kid uh, back then. So I played a lot of stuff on that. But I also played um, a lot of games like, you know, on Commodores and Ataris and... Some of the really old, old um, platforms, uh, but I'm not really sure where I started from uh, exactly. Like a Commander Keen. Uh, I mean, that's like that's more like PC stuff uh, that came a little later. But it was yeah, the, def- like definitely was like good. NAS uh, was uh, one of the first ones that I really got into. So all the Mario's and Zelda's and Mega Man's and all, all that. Uh... So I cheat with this one. Because I have my, the first game I played within arm's reach. Um, it's in my sock drawer. I could pull it out, but this is an audio podcast, so it wouldn't really benefit anybody. Um, I, I have the original disc for the first game that I played. The first game that I played is Demon Attack on the Tandy 800, I think was the name of the computer, <laughs> which is a Radio Shack brand DOS PC. Nice. Um Demon Attack was a multi-platform release. It came out on the Atari 2600 uh various pcs and it's basically like a um uh alien invaders clone or space invaders clone um it's like a you you you're down on the bottom your little triangle is shaped ship and weird things with bat wings fly down towards you and you shoot little lasers up at them and you move back and forth um then i couldn't tell you what the second game i played was it was probably like something either on the super nintendo because that's what my i remember my cousin having i don't remember him having anything before that but aside from that a lot of my early memories of games are a lot of like n64 at my cousin's house or various weird pc games at my friend's house um but i i do remember the first new still in the plastic wrap game that my parents gave me which was uh sim city 3000 I still have that disc too. That was the first new game I got myself that wasn't acquired illegally or through illicit means or from a used place store. But yeah, SimCity back in the day was amazing. That was a kind of gaming changing game for me as well, like the original uh, SimCity on the SNES. Uh, we used to go to uh, Sweden because I lived uh, close to the border, and. Uh, Games used to be cheaper in Sweden, and they had much better selection. So we used to go there, and there was this toy store that used to trade, um, uh, like, video games. Uh, and uh, we did, like, a, every couple of weeks we went to Sweden, because there was also food and everything was cheaper there, and also all kinds of products that you don't get uh, on this side of the border, even these days. Uh. <laughs> but uh, that's, like, everywhere, uh, very, very close to the border. But uh, we went to that toy store uh, always uh, to like trade uh, trade in my current games and get some new games. Uh, and I was like, none of these games really interest me currently. I don't know what I want. Like, uh, and asked uh, for the shopkeeper to 
recommend me a game. And he's like, you look like a person who likes building uh, stuff. Uh, and it's like, I got this game, SimCity, which apparently wasn't selling really well, uh, which is why he was uh, trying to get me to get it. <laughs> but that, that shopkeeper That's was correct. I, I really enjoyed <laughs> SimCity, and I, it kind of set me on the path of playing like a building game, so that I do even these days. Hey, Bell. I have a question. Um, so, were the games in English when you got them, or were they in other languages? Because, like, I'm an American who's very ignorant of knowing that kind of thing. Uh, they were only English. Uh, everything was in. Okay. I mean... Back then, fin- localization was, like, null point yeah. in existence, right? Yeah, everything was pretty much released uh, in English uh, in Europe. And uh, Finland is a kind of okay. weird case in that as well. Like, a lot of uh, European countries, like Germany and uh, others, uh, like... Uh, they dub uh, like movies and TV series and so on, but Finland doesn't really do that uh, outside uh, like children's uh, like really young children's uh, uh, like TV shows and so on like movies uh, and everything else is uh, in in whatever the original language was and then everything is uh, just subtitled. So we, we get a lot mm. of um, exposure to other languages uh, very early on, and that's actually like yeah, how, how I learned English uh, originally myself. Uh, like uh, uh, one of the first games uh, that the uh, really forced me to learn English was uh, like the original Zelda on NES uh, because some of the some of the things uh, like secrets on that uh, are super cryptic cryptic uh, even in in if you know English really well and trying to be like a nine-year-old kid uh, that doesn't speak the language or read the language in any way really and try to understand those uh, <laughs> and then there's like Willow and all kinds, all kinds of these like NES RPGs, for example. Like uh, somehow I made through all of those <laughs> without knowing like any of the language. But it, you really quickly like young kids are uh, pick up languages so fast. Like it's it's insane mm. how quickly like you pick up words and you see an item on on the screen. It's like okay, this is a sword. Okay, that's a sword. <laughs> it's like they they haven't gotten their. Uh... They, they haven't gotten fully filled up with distractions and they still have a lot of free time to just sit there and stare at stuff and yeah. figure it out. It's like me learning how to play Fire Emblem games in Japanese, even though I definitely never learned Japanese, but I finished a Fire Emblem game in Japanese, so that's... <laughs> oh, that took a while. Um, I'd, I'd already played other games, and the, the structure's pretty similar, but um, figuring out how to like get into the get through the main menu and into the game is a little challenging at times but um so uh, the next question we have here also from cutest ghost is what's your favorite alcoholic drink well um, i don't really drink uh, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to say but I, I do enjoy like you uh, i think it was actually you who recommended me to try um like raspberry sour uh, and, and similar ones mm. and i actually do enjoy yeah. those uh, quite a lot uh. like sour beers yeah and and especially like the like the kind of berry or fruity ones, uh, basically yeah, I, stuff that doesn't taste uh, alcohol. <laughs> a, a lot a lot of sour beers, especially like the super fruity ones, end up tasting more like kombucha yeah. than beer. Like um, there there's a brewery close to here called the Bakery, which I talk about a lot. That actually makes like tea beer. Like they'll make like a rooibos tea, like pomegranate beer and it's like yeah this just tastes like kombucha but also like it gets you drunk because why is it 10 percent alcohol um so <laughs> yeah that sounds yeah, like something i would probably stuff. like it like like normal oh, normal beers or uh, anything like that uh, it's not really my thing yeah. although um, actually this is a like, kind of finland specific one 
the salmiaki vodka is actually pretty oh. good because it doesn't taste of alcohol. It's just a, like a liquid uh, salmiaki. It's, it's extremely like dangerous <laughs> to drink because you, you don't really. Well, it's just a nice salmiaki, and then you're uh, passed out somewhere. God, I wish it was like legal to ship high alcohol content like across borders because I want to try that. Now. There is a <laughs> um, well, I mean, liquids in general is kind of hard to send, uh, but there, yeah. there is actually like a like a mixer bottle uh, for that as well. So w- without the alcohol, you just add your owner. Um, Interesting. Hmm. Um. Well, I I only really drink when I go out to like a restaurant or something, and I'll just order whatever cocktail so- cocktail sounds the most interesting. I haven't super learned what I love yet because you know, uh, COVID and all that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mostly just go to a restaurant and order like some kind of fruity cocktail, and then beyond that, um, I do really like white moscato wine. I think I could get into those uh, girly cocktails as well. <laughs> oh, they're so good! You don't taste the alcohol at all, and they just kind of taste like a dessert. Yeah, I, I think I, I could totally so get fun. into those as well. It's just a, I rarely get into those situations where I, I would actually order something like that. So this is really a really tough one for me to answer because I like a lot of different types of alcohol. Um, my favorite style of mixed drink if i'm going to get a mixed drink is either an old-fashioned which is um whiskey or uh a gin and tonic and which one i'll order depends on what gin they have and what whiskey they have so that gets complicated really quickly um when it comes to beers my taste in beer varies very widely depending on season and mood um but recently i had a growler which is a two liter bottle of a very low percent beer. It was only 4% alcohol, but it was a coconut chai uh, lager. And it was, it, it, it tasted like cold, slightly alcoholic coconut chai. And it was, I finished that in like a day and a half. <laughs> I drank two liters of beer. So like, and like, it was such low alcohol content. Like I didn't even really get drunk off of it. Like I just had a pint every like three hours for two days. Um, but that, that was nice. Uh, but yeah, I don't, um, I don't generally have alcohol at home. And um, my favorite beer is usually whatever I either had last or whatever was good that I had last. So I can always pick out a few recent things, but selecting my favorite mm. alcoholic drink is difficult. Is is that one you were just talking about available in the U.S.? Uh, it's made by a brewery called Dogwood Brewing. That's like, uh, I think their brewery is like in a garage at the back of a uh, warehouse district. So I doubt it. Oh yeah, um, they're in. Uh, they're they're yeah. definitely a tiny craft brewery. Like I, I had it in their brewery. Um, the, the the problem with beer right now is like I can't even get like Ballast Point up here anymore because ever since. Um, not the current American president, but the one before, uh, put a bunch of laws in place, which made it very expensive to ship alcohol up here. Um, there was one liquor store that used to try to still ship American macro brews, like the bigger breweries up to Canada. And like a six pack of beer here is normally like between eight and $16, depending on how fancy it is. Um, a, a six pack from one of those breweries down in the States, like Ballast Point, for example, was going for $70 uh, because of fees. So yeah, nobody buys them. <laughs> so they mm-hmm. stop like it's like impossible to get american 
independent stuff up here and it's gotten only harder to get Canadian independent stuff down there. So I see that as very unlikely. Yeah, we're we gonna have yeah, the I'm opposite. trying to find it, but I'm seeing like nothing. Yeah. Well, if you ever come to Canada, call me and I'll take you there. Um, <laughs> but, um, Belle, do you want to take the next one on this list? Uh, sure. So, Q, this uh, ghost is uh, still asking us uh, favorite things. Uh, MVP. And uh, this time it's a uh, favorite wild animal. I know what FG would say on this. <laughs> I um, otter not say anything about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's my dad joke for the episode. Zoe, what's your favorite wild animal? Go. Um, it goes, it actually fluctuates between tortoise and elephant. Tortoise and elephant. Um, I, it's because, so, uh, in elementary school, the reptile man came into our classroom. There's a story behind the tortoise. Okay, and um, they asked for a volunteer, and I just, like, I had a habit of raising my hand for everything, because I was just that one kid, um, and so I raised my hand, they picks me, and I'm like, wait, this is the reptile man, this is the snake guy, what, why, why did I do this, and I'm instantly regretting it, I'm terrified, then he pulls out a plastic uh, bin, and it opens it up, and there's just two tortoises there, and I got to hold a tortoise. And, like, they're just such sweet, adorable animals. And then elephants are also, like, really smart and sweet, too. I watched a video of an elephant walk up to a tree, knock the tree over, uproot its roots, flip it over, and then scratch its bum on it. And you know That's what? That's sick. I, I appreciate that. Um... My favorite wild animal, and the reason I'm calling these wild animals is because they sh absolutely should not be in captivity, are vipers. Uh, they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful danger noodles with a very, very, very sharp nose that you want to avoid because you will die if they bite you. Some of them are uh, so, but so pretty. They are gorgeous. I could watch videos of vipers just like doing viper things all day. They're not very smart creatures. They're very uh, dopey. There's a lot of really funny videos of like, vipers like in a tree and then like they shift like themselves slightly and falling out of the tree like they're super dopey creatures but like they are often very brightly colored and like wonderfully cool critters i, I love vipers closest thing we have to dragons really yeah oh you have like bearded dragons that are actual dragons <laughs> They're just idiots though yeah <laughs> bearded dragons are so dumb yeah. i i had to take care of a bearded dragon once and like those they, they have no depth perception, so they're actually pretty blind. And, like, you put them on a sofa, for example. They'll just, like, walk off the sofa, fall, land on their face, and then just, like, land on their feet, and then just kind of sit there for a second. Like, what just happened? <laughs> they're not very smart. Um, but, uh, like, I, I I don't live where they where they run around in the wild, but in Australia, apparently, where they come from, um, you can just, like, walk up and pick them up because they're just, like, so docile. Like, they're just not very smart creatures. <laughs> Reptiles, not the smartest. Very cute. Yeah, for me, I guess um, I'm not sure really. Like, I've never really thought about what, like my favorite animals so so much. Uh, but I always liked uh, birds, especially when I was younger. My my grandparents used to have this uh, like a bird book that had like drawn uh, pictures of birds, and I always really enjoyed uh, those. Uh, and especially like a kingfisher, is is an amazingly pretty bird. Uh. 
And so, we're like, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the time right now. We are kind of getting up there in the minutes, so I think we'll, we'll do one more here. And uh, we got one from Prismatic Flux, which is an older one, actually, which was answered on a previous episode. My answer to this one is nuts. Uh, but uh, what's your go-to snack? Uh, I personally really like goldfish crackers. Like, Tsuboy keeps having to buy me, like, the gallon-sized box of it. And if you let me, I'll go through that in, like, a week and a half. But I try to pace myself because I don't want to gain a ton of weight. So, <laughs> yeah. I love crackers. Yeah, I don't, for me, it's also, it's like a meaty, salty thing. So, usually, uh, I like beef jerky a lot. It's great. Uh, quick snacker. But, yeah. Um, I don't... I really need to up my game, especially during streaming for snacking and get a little more healthier snacks and in general have snacks during stream. It, it, it's funny. I feel like this is just me as a streamer because I started off this way too. Almost uh, like so many streamers that I know, like when they, the first like few years they stream, it's always like energy drinks, pizza, fast food, quick food, mm-hmm. you know, snacks. And I, I definitely started off that way. Like there, were, I or in the early days of me streaming, there was definitely a couple streams where it was like, "All right, guys, I'll go for another four hours if you order me two pizzas, one for me, one for my partner." <laughs> and like that—that that was like it back in the day. And now it's like I make a sandwich before I start stream. Like I drink a lot of water. Um, yeah, streamers all got kind of health conscious all at once. Yeah, I mean, thing. it's almost like we've been sitting at two hour, two years uh, inside doing nothing but streaming. So suddenly, health consciousness is a, like a, something to think about yeah yeah i don't know I, I i clued into like my body falling apart in like 2018 so that's around where i started paying attention yeah i think that uh i think that kind of takes us to the end of this year episode of the halcyon frequency podcast uh so before i do shout outs and whatnot i just want to say if you like this show if you want to hear more of this show uh, you can find that over at the Halcyon Frequency website, which is just halcyonfrequency.com. And uh, if you want to help us out, uh, you can do so by uh, following the team's account on Twitter at halcyonmhz megahertz. Um, and uh, if you want to uh, help us out even more, you can go over to our uh, our one of our pages where you can find this podcast, which is any podcast platform where podcasts are found, and uh, leave us a review if they allow for that. Or take it and click the share button and put it on your social media, whatever that might be. Uh, a Discord, a Twitter, a Facebook, God forbid. Uh, maybe a Reddit or somewhere else that you happen to like posting. Uh, because that is the only way that podcasts grow, uh, is if people talk about them in public spaces. So now that we're done with that, uh, Suey, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, people can find me at twitch.tv slash Suey. It's spelled S-U-W-E-Y. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that I'm somewhat okay at posting to. I'll, like, queue up a bunch of videos and then I will forget to do it for like three or four weeks. And then I'll keep a bunch more. So it's kind of like a little all over the place. But yeah. Um, and then I have Twitter too, at Sui Streams. Yeah. Bellanair, where can people find you? Well, you can also find me on Twitch. Uh, Bellanair on Twitch. And then uh, Bellanair TV pretty much on every other platform. Twitter, YouTube, uh, Instagram, which I haven't actually uploaded in a billion years. Uh, which I probably should and well through the twitter and the twitch you can find all my other things as well so 
just hop in, hop in there, say hi. And uh, if you want to find me, you can find me over at uh, twitch.tv slash B-L-I-N-D-I-R-L, B-L-I-N-D-I-R-L on Twitter and Blind on YouTube. I also just put up a two-hour-long chat where I got to talk with not one but both halves of Bay 12 Games, Zach and Tarn Adams, which I recommend giving a listen to if you're even remotely interested in Dwarf Fortress because there's just some fun bits in there. Um, there was also a part where they accidentally leaked something they weren't supposed to, so I had to bleep it out, which is now confusing YouTube commenters very much. Don't tell them that they can just go listen to the Twitch VOD where they definitely just say it. Anyway, um, maybe someone will figure it out now. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening to this here episode of the Housing Frequency Podcast. We'll be back next Sunday. We'll see you all next week. Till next time, I think it's time for us to say goodbye. Bye. So, bye. bye.